We're going to continue um, just as you guys get settled. I, 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 we've been having um, a wonderful time, hopefully, um, talking about uh, the road that God's called you to, the way that he's called you to. And, you know, the Bible talks about this way, this road, this path throughout the Old and the New Testament. He talks about a path, a road of righteousness. He talks about this way that he's prepared for you. In fact, the scripture tells us um, in, uh, that, that we were on a path. We were previously on a road that was not, that we thought we were walking our own road. We thought we were walking to the beat of our own drum. But the scripture actually tells us we were walking on a path that was according to the prince of this world. And when he talks about the prince of this world, he's talking about the devil. He says there was a path we were on. We thought we were making it, but it was actually a path that the enemy had designed for us. It's the path that the whole world is on. It's a path of selfishness. It's a path of greed. And, and we think by being selfish, we'll get ahead, but you don't. In the end, this path leads to destruction. But the Bible tells us we've been rescued from that path. We've been brought out of darkness. We've been brought into light. And when we're brought into light, we're not just wandering around. That's the great thing about being in the light. What, what's the number one benefit to having the lights on? You can see where you're going, right? You're not just stumbling around, knocking into things. When you have the light, and Jesus said, he goes, I have the light. He says, and, and, and while I'm here, you have the light. When you're with me, you have the light of this world. Of course, he tells them that when he goes, he's not going to leave them without uh, that leading and guiding. He's not going to leave them, with, leave them with, as orphans without a leader. He says, I'm going I'm to come to you. I'm going to send my spirit to you. So the Holy Spirit is now what, to us what Jesus was to the disciples. We're not walking around in the dark. We have the light. And so when you've been called into light, then you can see the, the, the path that God has called you for. Of course, the Bible tells us that the word of God is a lamp to our feet, a light into our path. We know that he leads us and guides us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. So there's a, there's a path God's got you on. You're not just wandering around. You're not just stumbling from circumstance to circumstance. You're not just, you know, kind of hoping you end up in a good place. The scripture tells us that, uh, in fact, Jesus said one of the things that's going to happen in the last days is that many are going to fall away. Many are going to be offended, one translation says. And when they're, they're offended because their love has grown cold, they betray one another. And, and that word offense, and it's used a lot in the Gospels. Jesus used it a lot. In fact, he said, blessed is he who is not offended in me. And the scripture said, or doesn't take offense at me. We know that when he went to his hometown, they took offense at him because they knew him too well. He was there, he grew up, he was their hometown boy. And so when you're from someone's hometown, it's hard to take them seriously, especially when they call themselves the son of God. They imply that they're here to fulfill prophecy. When they say things like that, it's offensive. And so Jesus uh, used this term a lot. He said, blessed is he who doesn't take offense at me. Uh, blessed is he who, you know, he says, he says, many stumbling blocks or many offenses are going to arise. But that word offense in the Bible literally translates to a stumbling block or something you trip over. And so we, we understand because it's not just a one-off. It's not something that just pops up one or, once or twice in the Bible. But this term, offense, a stumbling block, a tripping hazard if you want to call it that, is something that shows up throughout the scripture. And we've already talked about, a couple weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus himself is offensive. We trip over Jesus. And, and, and 
as Jesus said, blessed is he who doesn't stumble at me. But uh, of course, the Bible also tells us, and, and Peter talked about it, that, that Jesus Christ was a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Which means if I'm on a path that's leading to destruction, like if you're on a road that's going straight off a cliff, what's the kindest thing someone can do for you? The kindest thing they can do for you is get in your way and stop you from driving off a cliff. Right? That's, that's the most compassionate thing. If there's a bus going straight off a cliff and you put a barricade and say, don't go any further, there's going to be people on that bus that are annoyed at you. They're mad at you. Right? You slowed them down. What they don't know is that on the other side of that barricade is their destruction. So really, they might be mad at you, they might be annoyed at you, but you just saved their life. That's really what God did for us. We were passionately following a path that was leading us to our own death. And he got in the way. Thank God he got in the way. But Peter tells us that for us, he's the chief cornerstone. He's the stone that the builders rejected. The builders rejected him, but he's the most precious stone there is. He, he's saying, you know, the people that should have been building the house, God's, God's people, God's chosen people, the, the leaders, the religious leaders should have embraced him. This is the cornerstone. This is, what, this is who we should build everything on. Instead, they rejected him, but he's our chief cornerstone. We've built our life on him. And you know as well as I do that if you're just going along on a, on a lifestyle that you think is going great, Things are going well. When someone slows your progress, when someone trips you up, when someone causes you to stop, you don't want to stop. So Jesus, to some, is a stone that we tripped over and we turned around because we stubbed our toe and we cursed at him and we said, you know, I was, I was going fast, I was going smooth, why'd you have to stop me? But others will turn around and say, thank God you saved my life. This is what I've been looking for all my life. The second week we talked about that we have to choose not to be offended at one another. That there are things in life that are going to be a stumbling block that is not a good kind of stumbling block. Because if a, if, a, if a barricade on a bad road is a good thing, then the inverse is true. A barricade on a good road is a bad thing, right? Did I say that too fast? Did I say too many words? If you're on a bad road and someone puts a barricade, that's a nice thing. But if you're on a good road and someone puts a barricade, that's annoying. We all know this. We live, we, come on, guys. We live in construction world, right? You finally have weather that you want to drive in, and, and you have to drive 60 miles per hour, or 60 kilometers per hour, I mean. You know, that, that's annoying, right? All right, you don't have to be annoyed by that. In fact, you're better off if you're not annoyed by that. But when you get on that road trip and you just want to, you know, head west and hit five Canadian national parks on your way to the west coast and pay $1.90 for gas per liter, then <laughs> it's annoying. When you finally get on the open highway, you put Adventures of in Odyssey on for your kids, and then you see these orange pylons. You see that dreaded orange sign. Well, when the scripture talks about a stumbling block, it's not just slowing you down. In fact, um, the Bible talks about it as causing people to fall away. Jesus actually said something uh, that, that really grabs me. He said, 
He said, stumbling blocks are going to come. It's inevitable. In fact, let me me set the scene for you. There were a group of kids that wanted to come to Jesus. And of course, the the, uh, disciples were the world's best ushers, right? And they knew that we should keep the service moving. And kids are messy and kids are kind of annoying and they don't know the script and they don't know when to come on. And so the kids were coming to Jesus and the disciples were trying to be good crowd control and keep the kids back. Jesus said, let them come. And he actually used them as an example. He said, these are the kind of people, you need to be like these kids if you want to enter the kingdom. Then he said something that's not as fun. He says, but woe to anyone that is a stumbling block for these little ones. He said, it'd be better for you to tie a millstone around your neck and throw yourself in the sea. I don't think anybody took that literally. Like, hopefully nobody's actually done that. But he's saying, you know, the worst thing you could do is cause one of these little people, these little kids, one of these, or it might not even be kids, somebody that's new in the kingdom, a young, young person in the kingdom of God, someone who's just come to the Lord. He says, don't be a stumbling block for them. Don't cause them to stumble. One translation says, don't, don't tempt them. Don't make it hard for them to follow Jesus. Then he goes on and he says, stumbling blocks are going to come. In the world, it's inevitable, he says, that stumbling blocks will come. But he says, woe to them that they, that, from whom they come through. So woe to the person that causes someone else to stumble. No matter what in your life, let me tell you, life is going to throw stumbling blocks at you. Life is going to f- throw tripping hazards at you. Life's going to throw, and the enemy himself is going to put things in your path that are going to be designed to cause you to fall away from God. Or, or at the very best, just to slow you down from where God's called you to be. Take you off his path. It's not always obvious, right? It's not always obvious what those stumbling blocks are. Sometimes they are obvious. Sometimes it's, it's a flat-out temptation. You know, I, if I walked out of the church right now and someone, you know, tried to sell me heroin, it wouldn't be a struggle for me. I, I got to be honest. I wouldn't be like, gee, whew, what, what was the price you said? Well, how do I pass that up? I mean, come on. No, I mean, that's really not going to be, that's so obvious that most of us would go, "Mm." if not all of us in the room would be, (laughs) hopefully all of us (laughs) would say, no, I'm not going to do that. But you know, what if, let me put something else at you. What if God has called you to engage further in ministry? What if he's called you to hook in more? What if he said, I want more of your time because I've got something for you? And then your boss offers you a promotion with more money but it's more hours. In fact, it's going to take you away from the very thing God called you to do. Now, promotion in itself is not bad. More money is not bad. More hours aren't bad. But it is if God calls you and says, I need more of your time, and then the boss gives you an opportunity to have less time available. That's a stumbling block. Why is it a stumbling block? Because it's designed to keep you from doing what God called you to do. It's, it's, it's causing you to trip over the mission God's given you. So even something that's good for someone else may not be good for you, right? Come on, guys. We know that that God's able to promote you. He'll exalt you in due time. We know that, right? Promotion's not bad. But I'm just giving you an example of there are times when it's not God's plan for your life, and you're going to have to know his plan, his purpose, his mission for me, what the Lord has placed me, the, the thing he's put in front of me is more important than anything else, and I will not stumble over this. 
We talked about the fact last week about how easy it is to be offended at someone, how easy it is to let a little bit of strife come in and keep you from the love walk that God's called you to, how, how easy it is for one stray word or one funny look or one unreturned text, my Lord in heaven, an unreturned text, how suddenly that keeps us from walking the path that God's put us on, right? Do you ever notice you've got to like train people in your life? Like there's, there's people in your life that expect a text like this, so eventually you kind of just like try to train them that unless it's an emergency, I'm not going to respond right away. And sometimes you could respond, but you're like, I'm not going to respond right away because if I do, they're going to think I always am on my phone, and then they're, they're going to be mad if I don't respond. We shouldn't live life like this. We should be free from that. Today I want to talk to you about something else, and it's a bit trickier. It's about me saying I don't want to be a stumbling block for someone else. Because I, I, I quoted from Peter's letters when he says that Jesus Christ to many is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. You know, in this church, I never want to be the kind of church that's afraid that people will trip over Jesus and be offended. I don't want to be the kind of church that hides Jesus behind the curtains so that people feel comfortable. Because if that's the case, what's the point, right? Absolutely. What's the point? You want people to be, you know, you want people to meet Jesus. And sometimes when we meet Jesus, it, I mean, thank God it's the most wonderful meeting in your life, but sometimes it doesn't feel that way. For some of those Pharisees, it, Jesus did not feel like the best thing that ever happened to them. Why? Because he confronted them on their path to destruction. He loved them enough to say, you can't keep going down this road. He says, he says, you guys are standing at the gates, but you're not going in. And even worse, you're stopping other people from going in. Come on, I, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. You believe in me, you'll live, right? He says, if you don't, you'll die in your sins. Listen, if you love someone you're gonna, and you know they're dying, you love them enough to tell them. And so you never want to be the kind of church that hides Jesus. But at the same time, I don't want to be the kind of church that has people tripping over us 50 times before they even get to Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I, I don't want to be the kind of church that, that, that is just, you know, <laughs> we got people out front, arms crossed, <laughs> judging eyes. <laughs> as they walk up the stairs, somebody stops them at the door and says, do you have a ticket? You come here? I, I don't want to be the kind of church that, that it makes it difficult for people to come to Jesus because we've got our own way of doing things and new people will mess that up. You see, in that case, I'm, Jesus isn't the offense. I'm the offense, right? And, and so uh, we've got to understand that in order for people to, to run into Jesus, sometimes we've got to make sure we're not in the way. Sometimes I've got to say, am I in the way? And, and we're going to read some things that, that the Apostle Paul wrote that, that are really relevant. The Apostle Paul said things like, uh, to the Greeks, I become a Greek. To the Jew, I become a Jew. To the free, a free. To the law, I, I become like one under the law, even though I'm under the law of Christ. And he says, when I act like I'm free from the law, I'm not free from the law of Christ. He says, to the weak, I become weak. And what he's saying is, I'm not going to give someone ex an excuse to trip over me rather than tripping over the gospel. He says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. In fact, let's read that. We're going to go to 2 Corinthians 
sorry, 1 Corinthians. And then I want us to turn to Romans, but I just want to read something real quick. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, you know, um, this really isn't an issue in 2019 Canada, but it was a big issue when Paul was writing to these Greek cities, these Roman cities, when he tells them, and he begins to talk about food, specifically meat that's been sold in the market. Now, can I just ask you, is anybody here offended by meat that they bought in the market? Is that a problem? When we had a barbecue, were you like, oh, we're having a barbecue, I'm out? No? Was that a struggle for anybody? Was anybody concerned that we had offered that beef to some foreign god? No, it wasn't a struggle for you. This is not an issue we're dealing with. But in those days, it was. Because a lot of these people come from a culture where the meat that was sold in the market could very well have been offered to other gods. It could, could have been very well uh, blessed, uh, if we want to say it that way, by, by, by idols and, and foreign gods that, that, that the Apostle Paul in other places just calls demons, you know? And, and, and that fellowship was not good, but uh, they had Christians that just said, well, we're not going to eat meat anymore. We, we just can't eat meat. We don't know if someone's prayed a, a wicked prayer over it. We don't know if someone's offered this to another God. We can't meet. And the Apostle Paul actually teaches, and he says this. He says in in chapter 8, verse 1, Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. Another translation says knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he is not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. Another translation, in fact, in the original Greek, it just says, if anyone loves, he is known by God. Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there's no such thing as an idol in the world. What's he saying? He's saying these gods that they're worshiping aren't real. Do you know what I'm saying? They're not real gods. He says they have no power. He says, so, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there's but one God, the Father, from whom all are all things, and we exist for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. However, not all men have this knowledge, but some being accustomed to the idol until now, they eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But food will not commend us to God. We're neither worse if we do not eat, nor better if we do eat. He's saying, your issue is not the food you eat. That's not what's getting you in or kicking you out. Jesus said something similar. Remember, this was something that offended many people. He said, it's not what goes in your mouth that defiles you, it's what comes out of it. He says this, but take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? 
For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined. The brother for whose sake Christ died. Look what he's saying. He's saying there's nothing wrong with you eating that meat. But this little freedom that you think you have, this freedom that you do have, he says you got to make sure you're not using that in a way that's going to cause this guy to have a problem. He says this guy's weak in his conscience. This is still an issue for him. It's still a problem for him. And so what we would normally say is, well, he needs to grow up. His problem's not my problem. Isn't that the great North American way? That's your problem. Does that offend you? That's your problem. It's not my problem. Right? I, I told you last week that back in the 90s, we, had a, uh, we spent a lot of time in our church. We, we had to deal with something that was very real, which was offense. People, people were very easily offended. So we dealt with it through the scripture. We taught on it for quite some time, that we should not be so easily offended at one another. Right? But then the backlash of that is every now and then someone would be like, they would say something like, finally I have the freedom to be blunt. Finally, I have the freedom to tell it like it is, right? Which is just your freedom to give your opinion without any love or compassion, right? And so, pop, you say it. You just vomit over somebody. And they go, I don't feel good having vomit on me. I don't like this. And you go, well, don't be offended. Don't take offense. You know, that, that's not what God's called us to, right? We are members of one another. Yeah. You know, the Bible says, let the strong bear the burdens of the weak, yeah. right? And so we've got to understand that they're a part of us. It matters to me that you stay on the path God's called you to. So sometimes we have to say, listen, I understand that to God this is not the issue, but to you it is. And right now in your walk, the best thing I can do is not make it harder for you to keep your conscience clear. And he says, and I want you to see what he says, for through your knowledge he who is weak is ruined, the brother for whose sake Christ died. That last statement is everything. Because it puts the value where it is supposed to be. This brother that you don't seem to care much about, this brother that you feel so puffed up because you're smarter and you know more of the word and you can argue him out of it, you forgot this is someone Christ died for. So is there more value on your burger or more value on that guy? I can tell you something. Jesus did not die for your burger. He did die for that man. I really like coffee. I don't drink coffee every day, but I like it. I like good coffee. But listen, if someone comes to my house and they say, I struggle with this, I don't think, I, I, I was addicted. I, I know you guys are all going like, really, coffee? Do you have to pick the lamest thing, you know, to be addicted to? But all right, what, I mean, this is why I'm bringing it up. Because I don't think there's anybody in this room that thinks coffee's a sin. But let me tell you, if somebody said, I really struggled, I could never say no to it, I had to have three cups a day, I said, I would, I would be the person that wakes up in the morning and says, you know, don't talk to me until I had my coffee. And so now they're getting off of it, and even the smell of it is really hard for them. Look, it might sound silly to you that they have a problem with that. But if they got a problem with that, and they believe the Lord's told them to stop drinking it for a while, when they come over to my house, I don't have to drink coffee. I could put my coffee away. It doesn't have to be an issue. It, do I love coffee more than I love that person? No. I picked coffee because it's an easy one. 
But there's a lot of other things that aren't so easy. And you know what we want here? It's the easiest thing in the world for you to give me a big book stacked with rules that tell me this is always bad and this is always good. I, I want that. You know why I want that? Because I don't want to have to think. I just want to have to look up at the book. Is it bad for me? Should I go to church on Sunday or Saturday? Uh, should I, you know? How long should I fast? You know, I should. Yeah. This movie is rated PG. Is that okay? <laughs> it's PG, but once or twice they say, oh my Lord, so I don't know. <laughs> well, I want a hard, fast rule so that I don't have to have a relationship with Jesus. I want a hard and fast rule so I don't have to listen to the Holy Spirit. I want a hard and fast rule so I don't have to walk in love. I want a hard and fast rule so I don't have to have any gray areas. But let me tell you, you guys have been alive long enough to know there are gray areas. And the Apostle Paul said it best. He said this, all things are profitable. All things are permissible, sorry. All things are permissible. All things, he says, everything might be allowed, but not all things are profitable. Yeah. So the question that we ask ourselves is, am I allowed to do this? And what God is asking you is, is it profitable to do this? Because God didn't call you to walk a line. God called you to follow him, right? So if I'm just trying to get, listen, this is what legalism will do. It says, where's the line? Tell me where the line is. Why do you want to know where the line is? So I can snuggle up to it. I get real close to the line, but I don't go over. (laughs) I feel a thrill when I dip my toe over. How close can I get? How close can I get? And if you have that kind of marriage, that's a bad marriage. Honey, how many times would I have to spill your drink before you'd hate me? I don't know, like five. Okay. Why'd you do that? Jonathan, stop. Do you hate me? I mean, what kind of marriage would that be? I don't, I'm not living my life trying to see how close to the line I can get with my wife. I'm actually trying to go the opposite direction because I love her. I want to serve her. Because I love her, I want her happy. I'm not trying to see how bad I can be before she says, get out of the house. Right? So what we say to God, just give me more rules. Because I don't really want to know if this is profitable. I just want to know if it's allowed. And there are things that are definitely allowable, but they're not profitable. And one of the questions you have to ask is, because this is the motivator for everything, is this in love? Am I walking in love? He says, are you proud? You got a lot of knowledge, but you've ruined this one who's weak. Sometimes we, we look down on the weak because they're not stronger. If you're weak and you stumble, it's your fault. You were weak. It's a jolting verse in 1 Corinthians when Paul writes to the church about a man who's really stepped into some bad sin. He's having an affair with his stepmom. It's it's an ugly situation. It's messed up the whole church. Paul says, you all should have mourned. You've become arrogant. You all should have mourned. That verse messes with me because it makes me a It it says, I have some responsibility in this man's failing. And I don't want responsibility. I want you to tell him it's his fault. He's bad. Get out. Not my fault. I did good. I'm a good kid. I'm a good boy. I'm the the prodigal son's brother. I stayed home. I did my work. 
Don't tell me I'm part of his problem. He says the whole church should have mourned. It tells us that we got to look out for the weak, that, that sometimes there are people in us that aren't on, they're not at the level you're at. And instead of you being arrogant about it, instead of you being puffed up about it, the reason you're at, you're, you're stronger, the reason you've been give, you know you've you've been in this longer, you're more mature. One of the benefits of that is that you can go and you can help the weak. That's what he tells you to do. So congratulations on your knowledge, but you just ruined somebody that Jesus died for. And so, by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it's weak. You sin against Christ. Did you sin because it was wrong to eat meat? No. You sinned because you caused a brother to fall away. You caused him to go against what he said was wrong in his own heart. There might be things that the Lord says to me, you know what, that's not a problem. You can do that. But you come and you say, in my conscience, I believe this is wrong. If I talk you out of it, when, God, when you feel God has clearly told you this is, where you this is your line, you should not do this, and I talk you out of it to make myself feel better, because honestly, that's the only reason I would do it, right? I feel a little convicted by your standard, and I don't want you to have a higher standard than me, because then I feel like a sinner. <laughs> Actually... I'm glad your family had a good time at Disney World. We have nothing to do with Disney. <laughs> so I go home and I have to deal with that. Why? Well, Disney has witches. Oh, shoot, that's true. Disney has magic. Oh, man, stop messing with me. All right, okay. So you say you don't even let your kids watch Disney movies. You wouldn't let them go to Disney World if they asked. But we just went to Disney World. So then you come to me and you say, listen, I'm not, I don't have a problem with you going... But listen, as for me and my family, we don't have anything to do with that. Do you know what's going to happen to me? I'm going to go home, and I'm going to be like, man, they're judging me. Who do they think they are coming up with that standard? They think I'm a sinner? Do they think I'm okay with all that magic? I go online, and I look for an argument. Is Disney a sin? Skip that one, because that, that, that person thinks they are. Ooh, this person thinks you're wrong. And I go and I go over the argument in my head. I'm going to try to argue you out of your standard. Why? Because I'm threatened by it. Your standard makes my standard seem low. I don't like that. I like to feel like the religious superior one. I like to feel like the better one in this conversation. I like to feel like the one who has the highest standard, and you just made me feel like I had a lower standard. Now, what if I just said... If that's your standard, I'm not going to do a thing to talk you out of it. You need to honor God. If that's what God said to you, honor the Lord. Doesn't threaten me. I have to answer to God. You've got to answer to God. All right, let's leave it at that. But there's something in me that wants to argue you out of your position to make me feel better. That's not love. That's pride. Pride will kill the work of grace in your life. It'll stop it. So the best thing I can do, and I, I made this decision when I was a teenager. I made the decision that I was never going to talk someone out of a higher standard than me. If they had a higher standard, 
Praise the Lord, bless God, that's wonderful. I'm not going to talk you out of it. You know, legalism is opposing my man-made rules onto you. Scripture doesn't say it's wrong, but I say it's wrong. So because I say it's wrong, you shouldn't do it. That's part of legalism. But you know what? There's another side to that where Paul says, if I impose my freedom upon someone who says, that's not freedom for me, but I ha- I, you have to do what I do so that you can too be free, that's not love either. God's called us to a higher way. In fact, if we were to go, I'm just going to keep reading. He says, therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Do you know, I believe that Paul ate meat again. I don't think he went the rest of his life without eating meat. But he says, if I'm with somebody, that's a problem for them. I would rather never eat meat again than cause my brother to stumble. How much do you love your brothers and sisters? How much do you love them? Do you love them more than your favorite foods? Do you love them more than your favorite activities? Do you love them more than your favorite TV shows or movies? Do you love them enough to say, I love you enough to put you and what God's doing in your life before these other things? Now, on the flip side, there's another side to this. What do you know? There's another side. There's like six sides to this. There's another side where we say, where we're so afraid that somebody's going to stumble, we don't do anything. Do you know what I'm saying? This is a slippery slope. This is also a slippery slope. This is a slippery slope. For many people, you know, drums in the church were a slippery slope. All right. I got no problem if someone says we don't do drums in our church. That's fine. But if we said, well, we're afraid, what if someone comes in and drums are a problem for them? Oh, okay, well, we shouldn't do that. What if, we, what if, what if someone comes in our, in our church and, uh, and chairs are a problem for them? Okay, well, we shouldn't do chairs. Okay, what if, we, what if someone comes in a church and makeup on women is a problem? Okay, women, no makeup. Okay, what if, what if uh, you know, we come to church and, and they're, they're possibly offended that, that uh, you know, you're doing your hair like that, and, and they believe men's hair should always be a buzz cut. Okay, I'm going to make a buzz cut. You know, if you live your life afraid of offending someone, you'll never really do anything. So once more, rather than looking for the hard, fast, give me one rule that applies all the time, here's the law we live by, the law of love. And I want to read you something from Romans, and I think you'll be blessed by it. Romans chapter 14 says in verse 1, just to, give you some, just to give you some context, he's just finished saying, owe nothing to anyone except to love each other. That's what we owe each other is to love. He goes on and he says, put on the Lord, Christ, Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Then he says, now accept the one who is weak in faith but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. Now, you could take that verse out of context and really go go all out on vegans, and I don't think you should. If you're a vegan today, God bless you. You guys make the best desserts. He says, the one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. The one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Do you see this? Now this, Christians don't like verses like this. 
Verses like this leave us uncomfortable. It's easier if we all do the same thing, if we all believe the same thing, if we all have the same lines, it's much smoother. So please, pastor, just give us a line. Is it okay? How many calories am I allowed to have? Is my teenager allowed to listen to this music? Am I allowed to drive a car? How expensive can my car be? Give me this, give me the lines. And what God is saying is not as easy. He says, if you're, if you're eating meat, if you're eating this thing that's offensive to some, don't regard with contempt the one who doesn't. And it's easy to resent them, right? Because even if you think they're wrong, they make you feel bad. Do you have that in a vegan option? Oh. Can I get that in a lettuce wrap? Oh. Right? Suddenly you feel judged. You feel judged. You ask for a plastic straw, they look at you and go. Huh? I mean, I guess if you hate whales, sure. <laughs> he says, don't judge them with contempt if they don't eat. He says, the one who does not eat, don't judge the one that eats. For God has accepted him. Then he says this. Who are you to judge a servant of another? That's a tough one. What he's saying is, you're not their master. You're not their Lord. Who are you to judge a servant of another? Can I just say something? Before, you, before we go too far, there are some hard and fast rules here. Right? There are some things that are just black and white. You could hear this message and just get into the gray zone and think anything is gray. Not everything is gray. There are some things that are just black and white, right and wrong. And the scripture is clear about them. Right? You don't I, we don't have to say, <laughs> you don't have to say, like, I beat my kid every night. And I go, well, I guess I shouldn't judge you. Like, no, that, that would be wrong. You, you know, if you said, I, I steal from my boss, I embezzle money. Shh, don't tell anybody, but God hasn't convicted me of it yet. I don't say, well, I guess I can't judge you for that. No, it's, there are some things that are just straight up wrong. Straight up wrong, and there are just some things that are straight up right. So this doesn't mean everything is great, but it means that some things you're going to have to be led by the Spirit, and you're going to have to be led by love. He says, to his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. In other words, one person says, the Sabbath, I'm not supposed to work. It's this day. One person says, every day is the Lord's day. I'm going to treat it like that. He says, one day regards as the same. One regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day, observes it for the Lord. He who eats, does so for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God. He who eats not, for the Lord he does not eat and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself and not one of us dies for himself. If you could say that every morning when you wake up, I don't live for myself and I don't die for myself, you'd be a better person. I'm not living this life for me. 
Not one of us, not one of us lives for himself. Not one of us dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I'm not going to put a tripping hazard in front of you. We had a dog named Bubba. He looked like a Bubba. He had this really cool underbite. Kind of had that chubby look. Not judging anybody named Bubba. If you're listening to the podcast, <laughs> we, we call him Bubba. And for some reason, Bubba just thought my dad was the greatest. He, he, my dad was the, probably the last one to get on board with having a dog. But Bubba just thought dad was the best thing in the world. And so Bubba wanted to be near dad all the time. All the time. In the kitchen. In the living room, on the stairs, Bubba's idea of being near to dad was to just snuggle right up to his leg when he's trying to walk. And so, you know how many times my dad would be carrying a cup of coffee and trip over the dog, and Bubba thinks, see, it's because I love you. And my dad would call Bubba Trip Dog. We'd call him Trip Dog, because he's always, and, and, I mean, it could be Christmas, and we're all happy, and then Trip Dog trips dad again. And you know, you get to a certain age, you just can't keep tripping, you know, it's, it's hard on you. And so as much as dad loved Bubba, and Bubba thought he was being nice, dad said, oh, it's Trip Dog again. Trip Dog, Trip Dog is back. Because Bubba would just find the best way to lay right in front of him right when he's walking with a handful of stuff. And I don't want to be Trip Dog. <laughs> I think about that sometimes. I don't want to be Trip Dog. And sometimes in my effort to be nice, I'm actually making it hard on someone. Have you ever read this story? I'm sure you have because we've read it here in church. You read this story about when Jesus told his disciples, Peter had just got the revelation that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God, and then Jesus says, I'm going to have to die. Peter takes him aside and rebukes him. Right? He says, Lord, no, God forbid that you have to die. Now, Peter thinks he's doing this out of concern. He's being sweet. He's being nice. What does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. And then he says to Peter, you are a stumbling block to me because you are seeking man's way and not God's way. Listen, so sometimes putting a stumbling block in front of somebody isn't always tempting them to an obvious sin. Sometimes it's just tempting them to get out of the will of God. We've got a lady in our church here that, whose, whose son and daughter-in-law are going off to the mission field to a, a nation that she's not allowed to know what country they're going to. This is a nation where Christianity is illegal. And while they're there for years, she's not allowed to have contact with them. Now that's hard on a, on a, a woman. That's hard on a man. That's hard on anybody. That's your kids. You're not going to see them for a very long time. This lady said, well, and many of you know her, she said, you know, but, but I, I just know that if they're following God's will, I'm happy for them. I love them. God will take care of me. Now listen, she could have easily said, you guys shouldn't go 
Don't you know people love you here? You guys shouldn't go. Can't you serve God here at, the, at your own church? Can't you serve God? You know, oh, the Lord understands you have family that needs you. The Lord understands that you love Canada. The Lord understands. And you know what? That might sound sweet and nice, but what she's doing, if she did that, would be to put a stumbling block in front of her family. Why? She's not asking them to go to the bar and get wasted. She does, she's not asking them to, you know, kill a puppy. She's... She's saying, she, if she had said that, she would be just telling them, stay home. And while staying home may not be a sin to the rest of us, when God told them to go to the mission field, it's a sin for them. Paul says, let's make up our mind not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. He says, I know and I am convinced in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, for him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. And that's the point. The question you need to ask is, am I walking according to love? He says this, do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Does that sound familiar to you? It should, because we just said something very similar in the letter to the Corinthians. He's putting things back in perspective. This is not about your rights. In fact, if you were to keep reading that, that first bit that we read, Paul actually talks about his rights. He says, don't I have a right to have a wife? He says, don't I have a right to get a paycheck? Don't I have a right? And he names all the things he has a right to do. And by any standard, he does. He says, Peter's got a wife. James got a wife. Jesus himself said we should make our living from the gospel if we're in full-time ministry. He says, he says, for all these reasons, I got a right. But he said, I did not use my rights because I would rather win you to the Lord. He was in a situation where it, it was more profitable for him to lay his rights down and say, no, I'm going to do it this way. And this current Society, we are so obsessed with my individual rights that we sometimes forget we don't live for ourselves. I don't live for me. I live for Jesus. I live for him who died for me. And because I live for him, I live for you too. There's a beautiful statement in Hebrews. It talks about people falling away and it says this, so therefore let us make straight paths for our feet. Let us strengthen the limbs that are feeble. So that the limbs that are put out, limbs that are wounded and hurt, may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. He says, You've got people in your congregation that are limping. You've got people in the church that are hurting. He says, Let's make straight paths so that there can be healing. Make a straight path in front of them so they don't trip and put their, that already wounded limb out of joint. Make a straight path for them so that they're walking in complete healing, that God can bring healing to their life. They, they're broken in some areas. You know, there are people that are going to come into this gathering that have got issues that don't make sense. Their issues aren't logical. And you can say that's their problem, they need to deal with it, that's theirs, this is mine. And you can take your stand that that's not your problem. And you know what? Everybody in the world would say you're right. But I would challenge you to instead of doing what the world would tell you to do, do what Jesus would tell you to do. Say, I'm going to walk in love 
How can I make a straight path and help this person walk on a straight path so I can, I'm not trying to remove Jesus' stumbling block. I'm trying to remove all the other ones. How, how can I help them be healed? How can I help them be made whole? How can I bear some of their burden? You know, we're not supposed to stay weak forever. Do you know what I mean? We're not supposed to be weak in faith forever. We're supposed to grow in faith. At some point, you may grow out of the issues that you have. You may find yourself free from those issues, and now you're dealing with other stuff. And there's this, <laughs> there's this sense sometimes in the church, that now that I don't deal with that, you shouldn't, have, you shouldn't be dealing with that. Now that I'm free from that, why do you still have a problem? I've known people that quit smoking a week before, and now they are slapping everybody's hands because they haven't quit their habit yet. Have some compassion. You just quit yourself. Yeah, but that was last week. This week, to me, doesn't have that problem. And so they become, you know, ultra, uh, ultra, like, you know, nicotine police. But instead, we got to remember we were forgiven much, so we love much. I believe, and the reason we've been talking about this, is I believe that God's called you, each and every one of us, to his path of righteousness. He's got, he's got, he's got some things in front of us that we need, and I truly believe this. I think God's put some things in front of our church, and I've quoted this before, but like the Old Testament prophet said, we will all go up together. I believe that there's some things, there's things for you individually. And, 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 and in order for you to walk in those things, you just have to say, I'm going to trust in God. I'm making up my mind. I'm going to do, I'm going to do what God's called me to do. I'm going to get on his path. And that's awesome. But there are some things for us as a church where it's not enough for one or two people to make the decision. God wants to take us together. And that's going to, that's going to require love. It's going to require some grace. It's going to require us to say, I don't live for me. I care enough about you that if this is a stumbling block for you, I'm happy to remove it. Jesus was in his own hometown. A couple of the temple officials came by and said, we're here for your tax, your two drachma tax. It was a temple tax, and Jesus looks to his disciples and specifically to Peter. Plus him and Petey, they got to pay this tax. He looks and he says, when someone levies a tax, when a king levies a tax, does he make his family pay it? Or is it people outside the family? And, and his disciples answer, well, it's everybody else that has to pay the tax, not his own family. And Jesus says, so why am I paying a temple tax? That's my family. <laughs> But he says, so that we don't cause offense, Peter, go fishing. You'll find a coin in the fish's mouth, and it'll pay for you and me. You know what I love? Jesus' desire not to cause a stumbling block. You see, there were other times when the religious people that were offended, he didn't care if he was offending them. They needed to be offended. But those people collecting the temple tax, they weren't wrong. They just didn't know. There's a difference. Sometimes look up why Titus didn't have to be circumcised, but Timothy did. There's a difference between someone who doesn't know better and someone who's being rebellious. 
And Jesus says, these guys don't know any better. And I, I, they're on their way. They're going to hear the gospel. I want them to believe. So, so we don't put a stumbling block in front of them because I'm about to say some things that are going to be hard for them to hear. So I don't want to offend them before I give them the gospel. Right? So he says, so we don't offend them. Peter, go fishing. Do you know what, I, you, know what you see in that story? When you choose to walk in love, when you choose to walk in love and lay down your rights, the miraculous takes place. God steps in. God will take care of you. You just make the decision, I'm going to walk in love. Pete, so we don't offend him, go fishing. There's a coin in the mouth. That'll pay our taxes. There are churches that if I don't wear a suit and tie, it's going to be hard for them to hear the message. I can say, well, where in the Bible does it say I have to wear a suit and tie? It doesn't matter. I want them to hear the message. I'll wear whatever you want them to wear. I'm speaking at a church later this month. If I wore a suit and tie, they probably wouldn't hear the message. So I won't wear it. Why? Because the love of God controls me. What would be more important for me is for them to hear the message of the gospel. There are countries where you, any culture, you want, to, you want them to receive what you have to say, eat their food. I've eaten things in other countries I would never eat here. I've eaten things in northern Canada I would never eat here. But it's worth it for the sake of the gospel. Pretend it's chicken and move on. Right? Or is it worth your dainty little dietary plan? Right? Okay, you're on Atkins. Bravo for you. But when you're in a country where all they got is bread to give you, eat the bread. Right? God will take care of your diet at home. Well, I don't eat this. I don't eat that. You know what? What's more important? Do you love them enough to remove the stumbling block? So today what I'm asking you to do is grow up a little. Baby in the family says it's about me. But as you get older, you're not a baby anymore. It's not just about you. One of the great things to see is when the older siblings start to be the ones that take care of the little ones. Isn't that wonderful when you see that? When they start, yeah, you just love to see that transition. When they stop feeding themselves and they start making sure the little one has food. When they notice the little one spills the bowl, they go and clean it up. What they're doing is they're growing up and realizing it's not all about me. And in a church... I rejoice to see when believers, you know, when you first come to the Lord, all you can think about is, I want to follow Jesus. Lord, help me do it. But as you get older, you start looking around. The 99 start looking around and saying, where's that one that's not here? Right? God loves you enough to give love for you to me and vice versa. Let's love one another to say, it's inevitable that stumbling blocks are going to come. It's inevitable that offense is going to come. It's inevitable that trip dogs are going to get in front of you. But I don't want them to come through me. You're going to trip over Jesus, but I don't want you to trip over me. Let's walk in love above all things. Because you know what? You're the person Jesus died for. And that gives you more value than anything or any habit or any activity. You have more value than any material thing. Let's treat each other that way. Amen. Stand up with me and let's bless the Lord.